goal for the Irish at the timeout. Williams, right to the right side. Powers to the end zone. Look, low snap, picked it up, takes an end zone shot, and finding McKinley goes up and gets it, and it is a touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Golden Homers podcast with your hosts, Mason Plummer and Nathan Erbach. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Golden Homers podcast. It is finally game week for Notre Dame as they prepare to take on the Ohio State Buckeyes and the Horseshoe on September 3rd. We are pumped to record this show with you guys today because it's almost time to stop with the talking and actually see what the on-field product will look like. But first, we have our first game week show for you guys this season. In this episode, we are breaking down our keys to a successful night in Columbus, along with our favorite and most interesting matchups between the Buckeyes and the Irish. We will bring you our final score predictions, bold predictions for Saturday night, and our final season predictions for Notre Dame in 2022. And lastly, we bring back our game week over-unders and answer your fan questions. I'm Nathan Erbach. Join with me, as always, is Mason Plummer. Let's get after it. What's going on, Irish fans? We are finally here. It is game week. Week one of the regular season for Notre Dame football. Two storied rivalries, Notre Dame, Ohio State haven't played each other in the regular season in a long time, have met in bowl games and so on and so forth. But uh, we, we got a little taste of the college football season um, last week. I mean, you got like the Northwestern Nebraska game, which was, which was fun to watch. Uh, Northwestern pulled that out at, towards the end of the, towards the end of that game. A couple other big name teams like Florida state and, and uh, uh, played, but maybe didn't play against great opponents, but it was still fun to see some football back in action. I know Mason agrees with me on that, but welcome to the golden Homers podcast guys. We are here to talk Notre Dame, Ohio State. Um, before that, we have some housekeeping stuff to get in order. And Mason, before I introduce you, because you did this last week, I have to do it to you. You started talk with the White Sox. I have heard a bunch of stuff this week about Otani, the shortstops possibly coming to, uh, coming to uh, the Cubs in the offseason. I want to know how quick or how close you will be to blocking me this offseason if the Cubs land Otani or in some sort of shortstop or, or whatever it might be. I think I respect your takes too much on other things to block you, but you would be on mute for a minute. And then I had a quick thought on the uh, on the Northwestern game, or should I say the Nebraska choke job. Um, my, yeah. my respect for Scott Frost goes down daily or yearly, I guess. That onside kick, I mean, I don't know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but that's just a wild thing to do. And uh, super entertaining game. I didn't carry either way, but, um, man, Nebraska, I don't know. They're kind of like Texas. I don't know if they'll ever be back, and that was really entertaining to watch, I guess. But uh, yeah. watching somebody lose catastrophically like that is kind of funny, I guess. When it's yeah, not the, only, the only thing that's weird, I mean, obviously, like, Texas, like, they have, like, the recruiting – background and they still recruit at a high level but like I was thinking about that earlier today I was on a like I was listening to a space and they were talking about it and like I, I just don't know like like I know Nebraska has this you know they're a storied program but what like who who wants to go there these days I know they don't recruit at like a horrible level like they still get a few four stars here and there but like they essentially recruit at like the Iowa Wisconsin level so like could they get to those programs if they get the right coach sure but I just don't think they're ever going to be this like top 10 program again, at least on a consistent basis, because it's just different. Like you can see like how Notre Dame has a path to those kind of to that because they recruit at a high level, Michigan, same thing, Texas, same thing, Florida state, Miami, those programs that have been like 
not always down, but like just not at the elite level of Ohio State, Bama, so on and so forth. But like Nebraska just doesn't recruit at a high. I, I just and I don't think they're ever going to get back to that. No, I don't think so either. I think they. I mean, I'm saying this just like kind of conjecture. I think that they recruited in state really well for a long time, and then the program's been down. And I don't know if they just don't produce as much talent as they used to. But you don't think of the state of Nebraska as a talent-rich state when you know when you think about the state of Georgia, Alabama, Florida, those kind of hot recruiting states, even even Ohio, really. So. Uh, yeah, tough spot for them, but we can get on to what people care about now. Yeah, right. No, I, I was just joking because my, my dad was a Northwestern grad. My mom's a Nebraska grad, so it was fun to watch for me, at least. But uh, but yeah, let's get into like some housekeeping items. We haven't talked uh, on a podcast, at least since uh, Notre Dame landed a commitment last week. Three-star defensive end Armel Mookum out of Virginia, originally from Canada. Um, I know a lot of people had some thoughts on that, you know, and I get it. I know like in our chat, you know, there was some overreaction about it as well, or maybe not, I don't know, maybe it's not considered overreaction. I mean, you can I overreacted for sure. Um, but like, I mean, but some people might not consider that to be an overreaction. They might be, they might consider it to be, you know, a proper take. So in my opinion, I think some people overreacted to it. And I think the biggest thing is, is the optics of it with the fact that they accepted a defensive end commit a week or whatever after five-star Keon Keeley decommitted from Notre Dame. I was able to get on the phone with some people um, that know a little bit more about Notre Dame recruiting and stuff like that, or, or like insiders, I guess, per se. And it, you know, essentially he was going to be a take regardless of Keon Keeley. That made me feel better. Um, and I know you're going to get to this, but also it, it helps that the kid has an 80, you know, an 80 inch wingspan and like has barely played any football. I think he's played fo- like six games of high school football in his entire life. Uh, grew up a hockey player. So that obviously gives you some hope that, yeah, maybe he's not going to be a contributor day one at Notre Dame, but by the time he leaves, if the athleticism and the length and all that kind of stuff seems to be what we think it is, Notre Dame might have like a steal on their hands of sorts, maybe in the sense of like an Ade Ogundeji or, or something like that. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's a, it's a project piece. And I think there's been a couple too many projects, you know, if they worked out, that's great. But um, yeah, I've heard Adi Ogundeji is a guy that to compare him to kind of a freak athletically, but it's going to be a five-year plan for him. Um, I think this kind of caught me off guard. I think a couple people on the beat kind of made it seem like it was going to be, you know, the surprise commitment or whatever. We didn't know about this. The kid didn't report the offer of the people in the really in the know, you know, the Tom Loys of the world knew. Um, so when this, you know, when this is built up to be something, you know, around on Notre Dame Twitter, something big, um, I, I think I was kind of let down by, you know, you look at the ranking and, but the ranking isn't everything, you know, when you see a thousand, that isn't great, but you look at the measurables, you, he's only played, you know, six or whatever games in his high school career. So the ceiling is, you know, so high for him, but, um, I, I start to worry about looking towards next year after the loss of Keeley, of course, the optics are bad, but what, what do you do at edge, you know, at, at Viper next year, you hope that, you know, one of your Gobira or Burnham takes the big step up. I think that's where it is for me because Batello hasn't worked out. And then you look at the past recruiting classes, Al Pugh's gone. Schweitzer isn't playing uh, the uh, Viper position anymore. Um, so it's not great from that perspective. I think the defensive line is continuing to recruit at a high level, but you need that top end Viper. And I think that Keon would have walked in and started day one, probably, you know, if he is everything we think he is. And I think that is the case. Um, you know, he looks to be Bama bound, but you never know if Notre Dame comes out hot. Um, you know, it looks like he's going to be on the Ohio state sideline or at least in the stands for week one, which is a joke in of itself. But, 
Um, Magna Notre Dame pulls that out. You know, that's the team he was committed to. I think that's ultimately where he wants to be, you know, you know, his heart of hearts. So um, never say never in terms of recruiting. We've seen crazy things like this happen before. Uh, that was a really long, long-winded answer, but um, kind of got away from Mookum. But that was my whole, that was all my thoughts just there. Yeah, I mean, and on the on the recruiting in general from the edge position, I mean, I think Notre Dame is still going to try to land another Viper in the class. Um, I mean, there's definitely some guys on some big name guys on the board. You know, maybe some guys emerge throughout the season, and you know, again, maybe maybe even a guy like Mookum, who's not going to, in my opinion, play Viper at the collegiate level. You know, I, I would be, I would be, or I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up being like a top 500 player. I'm not going to sit there and say he's going to go from a thousand to four, like to a four star. But like, is he going to be a maybe a border like a like a high level three star by the end of it because he has such a good, you know, senior season after you know after having a, a good honestly six games that he played last year or whatever it was. So, um, but yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, they they definitely have to get that Viper position figured out. I also mentioned this, uh, I think we were on a spaces last week, um, Friday or Saturday, whatever it was, maybe, th- maybe it was Thursday night actually. Um, and I mentioned like the fact that they've proven over the past couple of years that they can get stopgap players at positions of need. And part of that is because you have such a good core in general that like when someone leaves and maybe some guy's not a younger guy's not prepared to step up immediately, you know, you can have a guy like Brandon Joseph step in for when Kyle Hamilton leaves. Nick McLeod takes over um, when they needed a corner a couple of years ago. Um, you know, this yeah, obviously I mentioned Joseph this year. So like you you have or uh, you have these options. Like Isaiah Pryor became a pretty good player at Notre Dame. You know, when they needed some linebacker help and you know so on and so forth. So I could see how you know, that could be an appealing option for a kid that's been a really good player at maybe like a lower level Big Ten school or, you know, Vanderbilt or something like that. And all of a sudden he's ready to take that next step at a better, a better program. Wouldn't surprise me at all if, if they were able to land a Viper of that sort. And then you can mix in Burnham and Gobira. And I think me and you both agree that Burnham and Gobira are going to be good players. Um, I think, and it looks like they're both, um, obviously Burnham originally came in as a linebacker. So maybe people don't think about him as much. Um, and then Gobira needed to put on some weight, but it looks like he's starting to do that. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm maybe not as worried as some people are. And again, a long winded, a long winded answer as well. And, but I think it's important to talk about, um, because of the loss of Keeley. So, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to see what that, that combo of Gobira, Burnham, Botello, maybe a transfer can do next year. Cause I do, I do think there's a lot of talent in that room. Um, just maybe not proven talent. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And, you know, the more I think about it, I was let down. And I think my answer was a little bit negative. But when you do start to look at the tools, hockey player, that usually translates to good feet. And then you look at the 80-inch wingspan, that's that's what you want in a prospect. So, uh, you know, sign me up for that as long as he's not, uh, you know, like a, a featured guy on a defensive line group, which he's not. So, you, you know, it's low risk, high reward. You, you take that. Moving on a little bit, um, Notre Dame did name their six captains. Um, I, I, I go back and I'm, I'm going to kind of preface this by saying, um, cause I will say I, I was a little surprised by the actual six. There was a few that obviously made a lot of sense. Avery Davis, Jared Patterson, Michael Mayer's the best player on the roster. Isaiah Foskey's right there with them. So those four made a lot of sense to me. Bo Bowers, a fifth year senior made a lot of sense as well. I think as a leader type um, and honestly, even Bertrand, I mean, I guess he didn't, he didn't like not make sense, but I think some people were maybe expecting a guy like Kaiser 
Um, you heard some people say that like maybe Vincent, the long snapper, because he's been there so long and he's very highly respected within that program. He could be uh, a captain. Certainly some other guys that could be mentioned um, as well. I mean, Notre Dame does not have a senior quarterback right now. You typically would have your senior quarterback or, or even a junior quarterback be a captain. So overall, I think the six were, were good. Uh, I want, but I want to preface that by saying what Marcus Freeman said last week and how he said that we don't really need to name captains. If, if people aren't acting like captains, we don't have a good football team. So I don't think it's just going to be those six guys simply because he named six guys. You know, you're going to see Kaiser be a, be a leader. You're going to see the Adam Alola brothers be leaders. Um, you know, your Cam Hart is a senior cornerback now, a redshirt junior. He's been in the program now. He's going into his fourth, fourth year. You know, those guys are going to be leaders. Brandon Joseph, DJ Brown, Houston Griffith. I mean, those are senior players or junior players that are going to be leaders on the defense. And then obviously guys like Josh Lug and um, Zeke Carell, they've been in the program for a long time and they're starters. They're, they're going to be leaders. And I, so I don't have really an issue with who we named, um, but I, I would say I was maybe a little surprised at the actual six versus the six guys in general, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I, I like the guys that were picked. I think you could make an argument for a handful of others, but um, you could argue six captains is overkill and anything more than that is definitely overkill. Like six is about the limit for me. Um, you know, you, you try to get one in every like position group roughly, I would imagine. But, um, you know, lame, naming two linebackers is cool. You mentioned, you know, quarterbacks usually a good one. So like book, for example. So um, you'd imagine Buckner would be next year or something like that. That's what yeah, I'd like to see. Uh, your quarterback be a captain you know similarly you know the leader of the team and in soccer you always want ideally your center back to be your captain right somebody that's you know the leader of the team so I like the choices overall uh, I think they're good but yeah Freeman said it best that if there's not people outside of those six that are true leaders on this team you know you shouldn't have to go searching for them they should be ready and apparent and very obvious so uh, I, I don't I don't think Notre Dame lacks in leaders at all I think you really could have named 10 or 12 guys like you mentioned that are valid captains and that's a good thing that's a sign of a healthy program yeah and that's and also a sign of a veteran program and i think that the program itself at least a lot of the good players on the roster right now are veteran are veteran guys um you know and i think i was listening to the irish illustrated podcast right before this for a little bit and, and they mentioned like you know someone like kaiser is 100 percent going to be a captain next year i don't think that's up for debate so the idea that he's not a captain this year and they chose bertrand over him does that really mean anything probably not maybe bertrand's just been that guy that's a little bit more vocal or something like that. And sometimes having that vocal voice instead of maybe a quiet leader type, or I, again, I'm just speculating, um, you know, sometimes that plays a little bit of a role on, on game days. So um, cer certainly no issue there. Um, obviously the next thing and we'll get, now we're going to kind of get into this week one Ohio state talk. Um, depth chart came out today, obviously some really interesting, uh, some in interesting stuff and the oars, we talked about that off air right before the oars are still there. I was kind of hoping that was going to go away with the Brian Kelly era, but uh, I get it. Um, it makes a lot of sense. And one thing I mentioned to you is, you know, a guy like Tariq Bracey, it ha he has the or title, I think at both spots or one spot. And then Cam Hart has the or title at like the opposite spot with Clarence Lewis or something like that. And I, I think that's just a sign that Bra Bracey's going to be the starter in the slot. So there's really nothing to like get worked up about there, but, uh, I mean, any, any kind of takes on the depth chart uh, as a whole? Did you see anything that was sort of surprising or, or intriguing to you? Nothing really. I was kind of hoping the oars would be gone too because I think it's a little bit of a cop-out, but I also understand where they do come in in certain places. 
Um, I heard or I saw a lot of people on Twitter talking about uh, worrying about Sherwood as the third tight end. That doesn't bother me at all. He's playing that H-back tight end role, similar to Tremble, but kind of to a lesser extent, I'd imagine. So that's not something I'm worried about. I think people, because there's been so much praise for Raritan and Stays already, I think they were expecting them to be like number two and three on the depth chart, which just isn't realistic. And, you know, I think they're that the other tight ends, I know Evans is out, but I think Bauman and Barong have been kind of disrespected with the all the hype around Stays and Raritan. And I think people need to know that it's not common for a freshman to make, you know, a huge impact right away. So, you know, you have your studs and that's great, but, um, you know, I, you know, speaking of studs, now I'm thinking about it, it was good to see Morrison and Mickey both, you know, making an impact, making that two or three deep wherever they ended up. But that makes you think it was pointed out to me, a guy like Ryan Barnes or Philip Riley that's getting passed up, but you know, it's at a position like corner where it's survival of the fittest. So trying to think what else stood out to me um a lot of oars for sure um yeah you know I think it was about what we expected you know the little things that we mentioned off air about Christophic not being the backup left guard but we know that if something were to happen he's probably going to step in ahead of Rocco Spindler you'd imagine so you know little things like that that I think people that don't know the ins and outs of the program super well you know like you and I could both probably name the entire roster off the top of our memory which is you know is it healthy I don't know but um, <laughs> maybe not. Right. But uh, yeah, I think that there's little, little intricacies in there that ultimately hopefully don't matter, but matter to people like us, I guess. Yeah. Well, and then another one that I mentioned, I think was like Tobias Merriweather not being listed in the two deep. I think some people were surprised by that, but I think there might be a little bit of gamesmanship there um, with this idea that, you know, he's a freshman, but I think he's going to get in, get in a lot. And, you know, obviously, they don't have many wide receivers. They, they have a lack of depth there. So just because he's not listed on the two deep doesn't mean he's not going to play. Um, and then one, one, you know what, actually one thing that really intrigued me about the depth chart was this idea. And I think this kind of plays into it. Um, and we talked about the linebackers already a little bit with, um, you know, with Bertrand and, and Bauer being in captains. But one thing that kind of was intriguing to me was uh, Botello was, or, and the backup Viper spot, I think that means he's going to be, he, there's a role for him. And, I, and I'm excited about that because he does play with this level of aggression and athleticism that, you know, Notre Dame doesn't have in certain areas. Um, you know, he's a guy that honestly, from an athletic standpoint, could play anywhere in the country. Um, and then, you know, the other intriguing part to me was that, so like at will a linebacker, obviously Maris Leofau put as a starter, so people can kind of calm down about that, which is nice. Um, and then it had Kaiser or Prince Colley. And that makes me feel like, okay, if something does happen to Leofau, you know, maybe Kaiser steps in at will, but, or, but it could also just mean that Prince Colley would actually be the starter at will if, if Maris Leofau went down and then you would just keep Kaiser at Rover because there is that or title, but maybe in like certain game situations, you would have Kaiser at will, or, you know, I had Bertrand listed as like the backup Rover. So I don't know. It's just some interesting pieces there. I think it really comes down to that those four linebackers, Bauer, Leah Fowl, Kaiser, and um, Bertrand are like the four main guys as long as they can be on the field most, most situations, all four of them, um, regardless of the position and hold their own. And I think that's what Freeman wants out of that is those four guys. Um, but I, but I, was, I was happy to see, you know, Kali get a little bit of a shout out there and a, a guy that might play a little bit. Um, and then certainly Botello. I think Botello can play Viper, Rover, a couple other spots. And so the, those those kind of stuck out to me as well. 
Yeah, super deep linebacking core and a lot of guys that, you know, reasonably we have a lot of reason to be excited about. So I think, you know, a mark of, uh, of Marcus Freeman already, you know, he coached linebackers. He was obviously a defensive coordinator. That's kind of his position specialty, if you will. And he recruited that position so well last cycle. Um, where I don't know if we're going to see those guys make a huge impact this year, but uh, the next thing I want to touch on is, you know, hopefully we will see them make an impact on special teams. And I was curious your thoughts on some guys that, you know, freshmen specifically that, potentially we'll be looking at burning red red shirts, which isn't a huge deal. You know, if you're a stud, you're a stud and you want your best guys on the field. And, you know, if you are a stud and it's even considered that you'll be playing year one, you're probably not going to be a five-year guy anyways. That's kind of my opinion on it. So, uh, it's you know, it's been thrown around on, you know, online on some message boards, that kind of thing that guys like Raritan and Stays could be burning their red shirts. Who are some other candidates for you that, you know, freshmen that will be burning their red shirts or look likely to? Yeah, I mean – I mean, obviously, I think Mickey and Morrison, two guys you mentioned on the two deep, I think they're going to burn theirs, whether that, whether it's honestly on defense or special teams. Um, McPherson's the main kickoff guy, so he's going to burn his. Um, that one doesn't bother me that much either because, I mean, and also I think there's this idea that injuries happen. I remember when everybody freaked yeah. out that MTA burned his red shirt his freshman season, and then literally the next year he, like, got hurt, and then so he still played he still played that fifth year. So essentially his hurt year was his red shirt year. So stuff happens. Um, I don't think anybody assumed that a guy like Jason Adam Alola would be here for five years, but here he is. Um, I think obviously some of that has to do with the COVID stuff and, you know, maybe that's not a, a factor anymore, but um, certainly wasn't a guy I think they were expecting to have for five years, but yeah, I mean, I'm trying to, I'm kind of going down the list right now. Um, a small thought on McPherson sounds like he has is a monster of a leg, so I'm yeah. excited to see that. That's a good thing, right? Uh, yeah, but on top of Raritan and Stays, I think both those guys have an opportunity to burn theirs. Obviously, Tobias Merriweather. Um, that could be it, honestly. I mean, I don't think like there might be some other spots where they can get some guys in, like Jalen Sneed. I don't see any reason unless he's like a monster on special teams you can probably piece together four games to get him in and kind of keep that red shirt intact. I think the same thing probably goes for a guy like Joshua Burnham. What do you think um, about Tuli Alamaka? I think some injuries would have to happen for him to be getting. No, you know what? Actually, that's a guy I mentioned. I think Tuli Alamaka uh, is going to be a special teams um, starter for them. So yeah. he's going to burn it that way regardless. And I think there might be some special packages for him, like goal line and stuff like that. So yeah, I would say those are probably the freshmen though, that have an opportunity to burn it. Something. Yep. Some out of necessity, some out of you're just a stud. So I'm cool with that. All right. Let's talk a little bit about, obviously we have the depth chart out of the way now, but let's get into the actual game. Obviously huge game week. Not only is it week one of the season, but it's Ohio state. So huge there. One thing's a couple things I wanted to get into were like keys to a Notre Dame victory. Not necessarily keys to the game, because there could be obviously that that would be that's like a more ESPN type of thing where they bring up all their random stuff for both teams. But keys to Notre Dame winning. And then also some interesting matchups like O-line, D-line, that kind of stuff. Um, does anything sort of stick out to you right off the bat for any for let's let's start with just keys to the game. Like how would and, and then we'll get on to the um you know, the interesting matchups, I guess. So we'll start out with keys of the game. Like, where, where do you think – what do you think Notre Dame has to do to, to beat Ohio State on September 3rd? 
I don't know if these are cop-outs or not, because I think you could say this for just about every game, especially a big game. But I think two things mainly. One, especially with a freshman quarterback, you have to win the turnover battle in, the, in a game that you're not uh, – what well, you're projected to lose by 17 or whatever, according to Vegas. Um, and then the secondly, control time of possession. I don't think that will be necessarily as hard because I think Ohio State can and will score quickly. So I think Notre Dame will win time of possession anyways, but make it meaningful – time of possession, don't have the ball just to have it, like actually going down the field four or five, six-minute drives, long drives, you know, holding the ball. Um, you know, I've been hearing people say that Notre Dame should be past that kind of offense where, you know, playing keep away, which I kind of understand. You know, you want Notre Dame to be able to have those quick scoring drives too, and I do think they're capable of it. But in a game like this, in such a hostile environment against, prop, I think, the second-best team in the country – um, you have to kind of do these things when you're not on that same level offensively. Those are two things that jump out to me. Yeah, and obviously, like you said, I mean, maybe those are cop-outs, but they make a lot of sense. Um, I think a couple of things that stick out to me, and I, I mentioned this earlier today, actually. I, I think it was on the Irish Illustrated message board. But I think Notre Dame's strengths need to be strengths. I think there's been too many times where they're in a big game, and we've seen this. Notre Dame is – Offensive line, you are damn near close. They always produce offensive line talent. You, you see it in the NFL. You, they've won the Joe Moore Award and, you know, in, the, in recent memory over the last few years. They're always one of the best offensive lines in college football, and they always have some of the best talent. But when they play against some of these better teams, they don't get a good enough push. And you see sometimes where, like, okay, like I was talking to an Ohio State fan earlier. He was like, well, I think how Notre Dame has to win the game is by running the football and controlling time of possession and I was like but that's been the problem is that they've tried to do that against like Bama Ohio State Clemson in the past and they haven't had enough success you know throw Georgia in there it's because they go three and out because they run it twice and then it's third and five and it's like okay well that didn't do anything for you if they're going to run the football and, and do well the offensive line has to be able to control the line of scrimmage so that that's where strengths come in obviously Michael Mayer I think has to have a big game he's maybe the best player on that field minus CJ Stroud he has to have a big game or at least have an impact where other guys have a big game because Ohio state is only focused on him on, on offense. So, um, and then, and then I think the defensive line has to have a big game. You can't let Stroud, you can't, I'm not saying blitz Stroud and leave your corners and safeties on an Island where they're having to face Marvin Harrison, Jr. Jack, Jackson Smith and Jigba, you know, all those guys. And, and, and that's going to be tough. But you need to be able to, I think, create pressure with four or five guys. And you need to get C.J. Stroud uncomfortable in the pocket. And, you know, Foskey, Riley Mills, the Adam Alola brothers, those guys need to make plays against Ohio State's offensive line. And we might actually get to that a little bit when we come to interesting matchups because I do think the Ohio State offensive line is pretty darn good. But it might take a little bit of time for them because they do have guys playing different spots this year and so on and so forth. So I think that there's a, a chance in game one to kind of expose that. Um, and then I think the other, the other big thing. Um, so like, yeah, stars need to be stars. Strengths need to be strengths. And then I think you, the, the other big thing I was kind of thinking of is you need to be able to score with Ohio state. I don't see Notre Dame winning this on a defensive battle. They're not going to win. And at least in my opinion, unless there's funky turnovers and stuff that like we could talk about, but at least from a game perspective, you can't really predict that kind of stuff. I think they need to be able to score with Ohio State. 
they're not going to win 24 to 21 on Saturday. If they win, it's going to be 38, 34 or something like, at least in my opinion. And that doesn't mean the, the defense is bad, but Ohio state, like you said, they they have explosive plays. They wake up, they score 30 plus points on a weekly basis against really good teams. Um, so like they're, I think they're going to have to be able to score. And maybe that means possession battle a little bit where yes, Ohio state's going to score quickly and Notre Dame doesn't necessarily score quickly, but maybe they both get into the thirties because of that maybe you have, maybe you do have like one pick six or a special teams touchdown, which again, hard to predict, but that puts points on the board. So, you know, your defense doesn't have to necessarily shut down Ohio state, but if they can make a few plays here and there to maybe help your offense, um, you know, I could see Notre Dame winning a, like I said, a 38 to 34 battle versus a 24 to 17 or a 20 to 19 battle or whatever it was against like Georgia a few years back. I just don't see that against an Ohio State offense. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, you start to think about what Ohio State can do to bad teams. I think they're going to probably put up 60 or 70 a couple times this year. And then you'd imagine, like you said, roll out of bed and score 35. I'm, I'd imagine they're going to be posting 42, 45 points per game. So for Notre Dame to hold them in the, in the 20s is unrealistic. I think 30 should be the goal, maybe 28, something like that. But Notre Dame's going to have to score, no doubt about it. I mean, the defense is going to do its very best, but this is the best offense I can – I've seen in a while. So, and, you know, if they match up to what they – the expectations are, what they should be. So, yeah, no doubt about it. Notre Dame's going to have to score, maybe score quickly, but um, the offensive line needs to do its thing, and you have to establish a line of scrimmage and be able to run the ball. So, um, like you said, all things Notre Dame has tried to do in the past and hasn't necessarily worked. So, I guess we'll see. Right, and that, that's kind of where I get to this whole idea that explosive plays matter. I don't if if Buckner turns the ball over twice against Ohio State, I won't be mad if at, if his end stat line has like seventy five yards rushing and a touchdown plus like two hundred and fifty to three hundred yards passing and a couple touchdowns. I, I can live with a few turnovers, especially if one of those plays is like a seventy five yard bomb to like Styles for a touchdown or something like that. I can live with some turnovers because, and we'll probably get into this with Buckner. Me and you obviously are high on him. We're probably higher on him than most people are overall, especially coming out of high school. And he seems to have this like level of disrespect in the media from other teams, fan bases and different things like that. But I don't necessarily expect this to be his best game in a Notre Dame uniform, but it also can't be his worst game <laughs> in a Notre Dame uniform. At least if you want to win, if it is his worst game in a Notre Dame, Notre Dame uniform and it's, you know, it is what it is. Like I still expect him to be a, a good player and, a, and probably an elite player down the line. I think that there's a lot, again, I think there's a lot of just false narratives about his play and what he's capable of from outside people because he was a, um, a gadget player of sorts last year as a true freshman. But if Notre Dame wants to win, I mean, he's got to have to, you know, again, not, not necessarily play his best game in a Notre Dame uniform because he's going to have many really good games, I think. But, he, but it can't be his worst. Yeah, no doubt. I think he just can't – I don't want to say he can't lose the game. You know, he, he can't have three or four turnovers, back-breaking ones, you know, the, the pick six in the first half or the first quarter, you know, the first drive, something like that. He can't have a strip sack where his confidence is shot for the rest of the game. So, um, you know, I, I do think he'll have a lot of explosive plays. I don't know if they necessarily come week one, but, you know, I'm obviously for that. I'm willing to, I think we're all in agreement or most people should be that we're, uh, we're okay with trading you know, a couple more turnovers, you know, more than Jack Cone had for 
some more explosive plays, you know, what we've been asking for for years now. Yep. I think that kind of leads into interesting matchups. We've talked a little bit about it. I mean, obviously, I think we know that the Ohio State receivers are going to be really good. Um, so that's definitely a matchup that intrigues me is how Notre Dame is going to be able to attack Marvin Harrison Jr. and Jackson Smith and Jigba specifically. Um, can a guy like Cam Hart have a good enough day by himself to help out in that regard? Because if we think Cam Hart is as good, if Cam Hart is as good as we think he could be, he shouldn't have to have safeties over the top helping him every single play. He should be able to, if he wants to be an NFL corner, he's going to be left on an island against those type of players down the line. And, and in fairness to him, he's older than both of those guys. He's been in college football at least one year longer than both of those guys. Harrison, I think, is a sophomore, and Jackson Smith and Jigba is a junior. So from a Cam Hart perspective, like I, I need to see that he can cover those guys. Um, and again, I don't want to necessarily leave the corners on an island, but I think him specifically, he needs to be able to do it. And if you have to help out Clarence Lewis, Tariq Bracey, you know, whatever it may be with Brandon Joseph kind of shading over the top or Ramon Henderson at times shading over the top, whatever it is, that that's fine. So that's an intriguing matchup. And then I think the other one is going to be the trenches battle because I think Ohio State has a talented defensive line. Notre Dame has a talented offensive line and vice versa. Notre Dame has a talented defensive line and Ohio State has a talented offensive line. So I think whoever can win that trenches battle um, will certainly be interesting. But outside of those two, do you think, you, is there another one that you might be intrigued by? one for me um you pretty much said it but you know you're supposed to be a guy so go be a guy you know do your thing show that you're you know the top-notch corner that not only he thinks he is the staff thinks he is we all think he is so he just needs to do that i'll have a lot more confidence in him going forward like i'd imagine he wants to have a good season this year and potentially go to the nfl i don't know how realistic that is but i think that's something that's on his mind and there's no better way to show that than locking, locking up who many people think the number one receiver in the country, Jackson Smith and Jigba. Lock him up, three receptions, you know, 25 yards or whatever. That would be amazing. Do that and, you know, show your worth. Yeah, that'd be a major film review. I mean, just imagine that around the time of the draft. You know, if, if uh, Notre Dame wins that game or, or, or even if they don't win the game, but Cam Hart was lo locked in on Harrison or um, – or Smith and Jigba the entire time, that's going to be something that NF, not only NFL scouts are looking at all the time, but when, when you're seeing his name called in the first or second round next year, that's going to be the, the tape that they're showing on ESPN. So, yeah, do that. And, you know, if, honestly, if you lock down one of those guys, you have a pretty good chance to win that game. I, I don't think that's much of a hot take. And I think even Ohio State fans, I think they're going to blow out Notre Dame, which there's a lot of them. They, they'll probably admit that if, Jackson Smith and Jigba or Marvin Harrison Jr. have a very pedestrian game, like you said, three for 25. And that's pro that probably means good things for Notre Dame's football team. Um, one other thing I'll bring up, and it's kind of more of a positive for Notre Dame, but I'm interested to see how Ohio State's able to handle Mayor. I kind of mentioned it with the idea that, you know, if they can lock up Mayor, but that means things for Notre Dame in the sense that they have to double, triple team him, team him and other guys get open and make plays then, okay, then at least we know that Notre Dame's capable of it against a good opponent. But if they don't double, triple team him and they just say, hey, we're going to try to just beat you, well, I want to see who's on him, how they're going to handle him, all that kind of stuff, and, and see what Mayer's able to do. And it goes back to this idea of dudes being dudes. Michael Mayer's the best tight end in the country, or at least right up there. Go ahead and have yourself a day. 
go go eight for 120 and two touchdowns. Or like I said, get shut down at least a tad, but the but everything like I, if, if he doesn't have a good day offensively, I need to see Lorenzo Styles have like 10 catches for you know a hundred yards and in a touchdown or something like that. Or I need to see Jaden Thomas have five or six catches under his belt or Tobias Merriweather making a big play down the field or him or Michael Mayer making plays with his blocking ability. Cause we think, I think he's a good blocker. Can he, can, if he's getting shut down, can he provide lanes for Tyree and Logan Diggs and Audrick Estime and those guys? So that's going to be, a, I think an interesting one for him, how Notre Dame's going to use him and how Ohio state's going to kind of supplement that or, or, or attack Notre Dame um, defensively to, to kind of get in, get with Mayer. Yeah, no, I agree with a lot of what you said. I'm curious to see how they approach Mayer. Do you, you know, do you double him or it, does that even matter? You know, can he still get past that or do you let Mayer get his, if you will, um, and then let the rest of the kind of unproven receivers outside of Styles, you know, beat you? And I don't know if they will. So, um, well, Ohio State's strategy would be interesting. It's roughly the same. I guess it's not the same offense because it's Buckner, but roughly the same core of guys um that Jim Knowles just faced in his last game coaching obviously obviously with Oklahoma State so uh will be interesting to kind of see how he strategizes yeah yeah absolutely and, and you bring up an interesting point I think with Mayer and the double teams because I was kind of I was leaning that way to maybe bring that up and I'm, I'm glad you did because like it might not matter you might, you might be right maybe he's just that good so um I want to get into game predictions or our game prediction I also want to get into some like bold predictions for the game um, and then also for, um, and then our, we'll do our season predictions and then we'll do some over-unders and, and all that kind of stuff like we promised you guys. So before we get to game prediction, just to kind of leave a little bit out there for the people, let, do you have any bold predictions for, for the game? Audrey Gestimate goes for 102. 102. I, I, you know what? I don't hate it. Goal line back. And I, I think this is going to be his coming out party as well. I, I, I can see him doing that for sure. All it takes is one run. Yeah, yeah, those that don't know his name before, you know, casuals, they, they'll know now. Or they'll know after September 3rd. Got it. Got it. That's a, that's a good one. And I think it actually kind of goes to a point I was going to make. And I was going to lead more, lean more of the Buckner route here. My bold prediction is, is that because you see a lot of Ohio State fans and, and other team fans just like, well, like who's Buckner or Buckner sucks and stuff like that. And, and I think whether they win or lose again on September 3rd, Buckner is going to have the respect of other teams, fan bases that are watching that game. Um, they might not think he's CJ Stroud or something like that, or Bryce Young, but he's going to play well enough. And Notre Dame is going to stay in that game long enough that and that that people are going to be like, okay, Notre Dame might have something with this quarterback. And again, like I said earlier, it might not be his best game. Um, but like, and, and honestly, I hope it's not his best game in a Notre Dame uniform. If it's your best game day game one, that's usually probably not the best sign <laughs> um, for your, for your future. So um, hopefully he has a good day and I think he's going to have a good day. And I think more and more people are going to, know that name kind of like what you said with estimate more people are going to know that name after the game's over than before i hope at the very least they see you know buckner has a good enough performance where people are like you know what now that i'm thinking about notre dame two or i guess 
the season after this current one and the year after if Buckner ends up staying, like if they see what Buckner could be, that, you know, they're, they're like, man, the Notre Dame could have a scary offense here in a couple of years and really be a contender. I think you and I are kind of in agreement that, you know, this year isn't necessarily the year that they challenge for a playoff spot. It's possible. But I think next year, is, you know, with a year of experience under Buckner's belt, essentially returning everybody other than Mayer, I think that's the year where Notre Dame has a really good shot at doing something significant. Yep. yep. Any other kind of bold predictions there before we get into our season predictions? I was trying to think of one defensively, but I don't want to come. I don't want to say something just to say it. I don't really have anything bold. Yeah. The only other thing I was going to more of a joke than anything is that Brand Joseph is going to uh, be remembered by Ohio state fans again. Cause a lot of them claim they don't remember who he is because he's, you know, from Northwestern and whatnot. But I think there's a chance that at the end of that game, they're like, Oh man, I remember that guy when he was at Northwestern and he, he, he hurt us again, whether it's a loss or a win, like he, he'll have it a good pick six. Just say it. I don't know, man. I got, I don't want to get too bold because we'll get into our game predictions here, but <laughs> um, before we get, again, before we get into game predictions, do you have your season prediction kind of in, intact? My record prediction? Yeah. Yeah. I've been going back and forth, but yeah, I do. Go ahead. I'm going with 10 and two. I, you know, without spoiling my prediction, I guess I don't have Notre Dame winning this one, but um, I do think that they beat Clemson and USC. Uh, I don't think that BYU is as tough. You know, I do think they're tough. I don't think it's as tough as people are making it out to be, but that's kind of the way it goes. You know, people say how, how good BYU is, and then when Notre Dame beats them, they're not good. So um, that's kind of the way it goes. As far as the rest of the schedule, you know, I'm not worried about Stanford. Um, your boys, UNLV, don't really scare me. Cal, Marshall, um, nothing really super t- significant there. So, I have 10 and two. I know the Vegas line's at eight and a half, but I responsibly bet on Notre Dame at over nine and a half a couple months ago. So that shows my kind of confidence there. I do think Notre Dame's going to cover the spread against Ohio State. You know, the ball rolls right a couple a couple times. I think Notre Dame's capable of winning this. Things just got to go right. So I'm going to stick with 10 and two. And I think that's a that's a successful season. Keeps the 10 win streak going for Marcus Freeman. So you say you think they're going to beat Clemson and USC. So who do you see them losing to? Yeah, so I think that they they might lose one. Well, I guess I would have them losing one. I think they're going to have something random where they just slip up. You know, I mentioned none of those teams scare me, but things don't go right. Somebody gets injured. Buckner is out for the game with a sprained ankle. Right. right. Capable, but something weird happens. Uh, kind of like Cincinnati, where I think Notre Dame was the better team, but – Tyree muffs the punt inside the 10 or, you know, you turn the yeah, ball. Jack over. Cohn throws that pick at the, on the opening drive that changes the entire game. Yeah. I got right. you. Buckner tries to throw out of a sack and throws it right to whoever, whatever player that was for Cincinnati. So little things like that. I think there will be a random slip up in the year and we're all going to feel like the world's on fire, but it's really not. So 10 and two. You know, I don't hate that because I think there's an argument to be made that like, let's just say, maybe Freeman does beat Ohio state or does go beat Clemson and USC with obviously USC being on the road, hope hopefully much improved. And obviously Clemson's Clemson. Are you going to that by the way? Which, which game? USC. Probably not. I think because I'm going to go to the UNLV game, hopefully with you. And then obviously the BYU game, but um, so probably not this year. It's probably not in the cards, but. Um, but yeah, no, so they, let's just say they do beat both those teams and they lose to Ohio State or, or maybe they beat Ohio State and lose to one of those teams, whatever it may be. 
there, there's an argument to be made that 10 and two with one of those, with, with beating both of those teams or Ohio state and losing to one of those teams and then having one slip up. I mean, that's just a year one coach. I'm okay with that. I mean, people forget I me. Mean, everybody always talks about how Brian Kelly beat the teams he should be. He didn't do that early on in his career. He lost some real to some really bad teams, South Florida, Tulsa. I mean, he lost to some teams early Duke. He, he lost to some teams early on in his career before he became the coach he was from 2017 to 2021, where essentially they, Notre Dame was known as this team that beat everybody they should beat, didn't beat anybody that they possibly could beat, but were better until maybe Clemson. And that was, the on, that was really the only game. You can maybe argue Oklahoma in 2012, but those are probably the two games of Brian Kelly's career, people look at it and say, you know what? They beat a team that was equal or better to them. Right. And now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like they were, they might've been underdogs at Stanford a few times, but I won't hear any argument that Stanford has a more talented roster than Notre Dame. Cause that's not the case. So I totally see what you mean. Yeah. And there, there, there might even be a time where they were, you know, they were underdogs against USC early on in his career when USC wasn't, you know, what they have been the last, you know, four or five years. But but yeah, I mean, I could totally see a scenario where he loses like at North Carolina, whatever it is, especially if they're like undefeated going into North Carolina. They, let's just say they have, they're on this high coming off Ohio State. I don't care what anybody says, that takes a few weeks to get over. Like they shouldn't have an issue against Marshall and Cal regardless. You can win those games even if Pine is your starter. But like I could totally see them losing at North Carolina, especially if like Drake May is, is what they say or what, what we think he could be. Like, that could just be a, a weird game. So, I mean, maybe they lose at North Carolina. Maybe they lose to BYU in Vegas and beat those two teams. So I could totally see that. All of that said, I'm also going 10-2. and uh, I I've been saying 10-2 and two for a long time. I said this a long time ago. I know we were on a, a podcast with John. I think it was on the Always Irish show. And I pretty much said, Kelly left this program in too, too good of a situation that even with the hiccups that a first time head coach is going to have, I just, I don't see how Notre Dame doesn't go 10 and two. I know the schedule's tougher. USC is better than they have been, but Notre Dame, in my opinion, is the best offense or the best team on this schedule or, on, or overall with Notre Dame. Uh, uh, you, you match them up against everybody outside of Ohio State. Um, I think they're right up there with Clemson. That's kind of a, that's kind of a pick them game for me. And they are at home, so I'm going to pick them to win that. And I think, you know, DJ is going to have to prove something to me before, I, before I'm going to pick him to win a road game at Notre Dame. And right now I think it's kind of the same thing. USC has to prove to me that they're better before I'm going to go pick that game. So um, maybe they lose to Clemson. Maybe they lose to USC as their second game. But I, I see them going 10-2 and two as well. And I, honestly, I think there's a better chance they go. I know a lot of people have been saying 9-3. and three, is bet is they're closer to nine and three than 11 and one. I kind of, I mean, maybe I'll hold that to after the Ohio state game, if they get blown out or whatever against Ohio state, maybe I'll think differently, but right now going into game week, I have a better feeling about Notre Dame going 11 and one than I do nine and three. I just don't see them losing their three best games on the schedule. Essentially. I'm I lean in favor of nine and three rather than 10 and two. Uh, I think that just, I chose our different outlooks on the team. I think we're, you know, we, we're both 10 and two, but um, yeah, I definitely, I think I lean more 
nine and three, just because I do think there's a pretty decent odds of a random loss. And I don't think they win all three of the, you know, the huge games, but um, yeah, I mean, both definitely interesting perspectives there. Uh, where did you want to move to next? Game predictions. Do you want me to go first again? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, so I've been kind of going back and forth because I'm hoping Notre Dame can keep Ohio State in the 30s. Um, I think 40, 42 is more likely, but I don't I don't know because I'm, I'm trying to keep it in the realm where Notre Dame, you know, I'd like it to be a close game towards the end. Um, I'm going to roll with, let's see, 35 puts you at five touchdowns and a field, field goal, 38, 38-28. Um, yeah, I think that sounds about right. I, I think they Notre Dame keeps it within that field goal for a while. Maybe Ohio State scores a, a back-breaking touchdown at the end, and that just about does it. You know, strings us along for the whole game, and then you know you think Notre Dame's got a shot, and then uh, it kills you at the end. That's kind of Notre Dame sports in a nutshell sometimes. So um, yeah, I, I'll go 38-28. I think we're on a similar trajectory there. Um, I'm gonna. And you obviously been covering the spread. I do too. Um, and we didn't even really talk about that, but 17 and a half. I don't know if I would consider it disrespectful, but I do like what Marcus Freeman said earlier today. I, I hate when players and coaches are like, oh, we don't care about that. Cause you know, deep down they do, they see it. They're not dumb. And I, and I know Marcus Freeman probably saw that before it was even asked, but he just, the way he answered it was, was awesome. And I think that that's hundred percent. Do you think there's any chance that he didn't actually know about it? Maybe not 17 and a half, but I, 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 I would be very shocked if he did not know what the spread was, like at least the opening spread or like that it was, a, you know, a 14 to a, to a 15 point spread at some point. So, um, but no, I love how he attacked that head on because there doesn't need to be this like shyness that own, own what your program is right now. And unfortunately right now, at least from a, from a media and other fan base perspective, there's a little bit of a lack of respect when it comes to Notre Dame. People don't sit there and say that they're not a top 25 team. I think, I mean, I, I would hope not. I mean, that would just be ludicrous, <laughs> but, but I think there is like this level of like, well, Notre, is Notre Dame a true top 10 team in other people's eyes? And I know obviously me and you think they do I think they are, but um, the 17 and a half point spread I, right now, like I told my friend this earlier, who's an Ohio state fan. I was like, if I bet on my own teams, which I just don't, I, I think there's too much emotion involved. So even me saying what I'm saying right now comes off with more emotion. I think I, I would advise people that are not in my position to take the 17 and a half points right now. And honestly, maybe even wait it out because it might even get higher. <laughs> um, and actually, I, this is a funny one for Mason. I don't know if you, because you haven't listened to the podcast yet, you said, but Irish Illustrated, I was listening, Pete Sampson said this. He said that Notre Dame is a, is a it's a bigger spread in this game than Notre Dame was favored against Tulsa last year. So they're saying that Ohio State is this many, yeah, or sorry, not Tulsa, but uh, Toledo. He said that that that's the disrespect they have essentially. That they're saying that Notre Dame is closer to a MAC team than Ohio State is to Notre Dame, and that's where I disagree, and that's where I find it maybe like I guess borderline disrespectful. Um, but then Tim O'Malley, I think, came in and said it best. He goes. Notre Dame can lose that game 42 to 24 and it was much closer than people realize because 41 to 24 makes it 17 42 to 24 gets you above that. Yeah. And I think that I saw this, uh, I think it was Josh Pate said that, you know, 
there's so many the, the storylines are going to write themselves for this game unfortunately you know and before and after uh, you know the Marcus Freeman ties whatever but afterwards if Notre Dame loses this by any margin they're going to be overrated shouldn't have been in the top five whatever if they win this oh lucky win Freeman is never you know I don't know I I just hate the narratives around college football but there's always gonna be something around Notre Dame that just kind of popped in my mind so with all that said I'm going to go with 36 to 27. I think Notre Dame is going to settle for too many field goals. Maybe that prediction itself doesn't say that they're going to settle for too many field goals, but I think there's going to be maybe like two drives in there where Notre Dame kicks a field goal where we're like, damn, that should have been a touchdown or man, it would have been really nice if that was a touchdown right there. And I think they're going to keep it close specifically in the first half. Wouldn't honestly, like, I know this is a hot take. I wouldn't even be surprised if they're leading at half. You know, maybe they're leading like 21 to 17 at half and then kind of the offense sort of just stalls a little bit in the second or whatever. Um, that's probably like you can argue like Jim Knowles might provide a spark for, for Ohio State is that Notre Dame is able to get off to a hot start. But then the better co- like the better coaching that Ohio State has this year versus last year on the defensive side of the ball shows up in the second half and they're able to kind of get to Buckner a little bit or whatever. And that's maybe when he throws that one interception that we're like, ah, that sucks. But it wouldn't surprise me if Notre Dame or tied at half or, or down by three at half. And we're like, man, this is really awesome. It's close. It's, it's a, it's a good game. It, no, there hasn't been any crazy turnovers by either team. It's just a good football game. It's kind of what I'm expecting. Um, and, and I think good football for some people means different things. Like it could be 17 to 14 and it's not like it's a barn burner, but it's, but good defense, some good offense mixed in you know, both teams look like they belong on the same field together. That's kind of what I'm predicting. And I think that's what the final score is going to indicate as well. I mean, 36 to 27 shows a, a nine point game, which, you know, is a very close to a one possession, one possession game. And I, I, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think there's going to be that like little time frame in like towards the end of the fourth quarter, or maybe even the beginning of the fourth quarter where Ohio state kind of breaks away. And we just, there's not really an outcome like in those last five to six minutes that we're like, man, Notre Dame's going to win this or has a chance to win this. Um, so I'm not expecting that. I'm not expecting Notre Dame to have the ball with two minutes left to go win it. Unfortunately, that's just not where I'm at right now. But I think it's going to be a close enough game that most people that are logical are going to find it to be a respectable outcome. Yeah, I'm with you. And that's all you can root for at this point. I don't think anybody's you know bold enough to predict a straight up win, but covering the spread and, you know, being in there at the end is with one of the best offenses, you know, a top two team in the country. I think that's, you know, respectable for Freeman's first year. And then you start to look down the line and you're ideally you're winning those. Maybe we're bad fans for that. But again, I think, uh, I think that's how, I, I think that's, you know, any rational Notre Dame fan or analyst right now should have Ohio state winning that game, but probably not above the 17 and a half point spread. That would be, that's my, that's essentially my prediction. I, I gave you a score, but my prediction in reality is Notre Dame loses by less than 70. <laughs> so whatever that may be. Uh, Mason, go ahead and give us the, uh, our over-unders for this week, and then we'll get into our, some fan questions as well. I think we had some pretty good ones. Yeah, this is the kind of the segment that I've kind of made my own, kind of responsible for. Um, sure, sure. Wrote them all down here. Let's see. So um, this first one's kind of interesting because it's indicative of what you think Notre Dame's going to do. Um, offensively, it starts with the main man offensively. Tyler Buckner, we know about his rushing ability. Haven't seen him prove himself totally as a passer yet, but Nathan, Tyler Buckner over or under three and a half total touchdowns week one. So I think with my spread, I have to go under. I don't have them scoring 
I don't have them scoring four touchdowns unless they miss an extra point or go for two or something like that and miss it. So I'm going to go under. I'm going to say he accounts for three. Because um, even if they do get that fourth, I mean, I'll probably say that one of the running backs has a rushing touchdown or something like that. Um, so I'll go, I'll go three, three for Buckner. Um, I think their red zone offense is going to be good enough to where, you know, he can run it twice for, you know, maybe like he'll, he'll score two touchdowns rushing and one through the air or something like that. But uh, I think three is a pretty good number for him. Yeah, I'm right at two or three as well. So I guess I'm taking the under. I'd be contradicting myself with my prior prediction of Audric Esme going for 102 touchdowns. Uh, I do think Notre Dame's going to be dominant on the ground. And it's very possible that one of those Esme touchdowns is a Buckner touchdown. You, you kind of mentioned that Notre Dame's going to be good in the red zone. There's just a lot of options there for them to be successful. And I, that's definitely the case with big guys like Esme and Buckner running the ball. Uh, moving forward, uh, this one lines up perfectly with what I was just talking about here. Sticking on the offensive side, the guy who's going to I probably get the most carries I'd imagine Audric estimate over or under 115 total yards. We've seen him be able to prove himself in camp as a capable pass catcher, at least from reports. So I didn't say rushing yards, but total yards 115 for estimate over under. I, I know it's, I know it's a different spread, but if you would have told me like over, like over under 95, I think I would have gone over. I think I'm going to go under 115. And part of it is because they do have that or title on Logan Diggs. So I think he's going to be more active in this game than people realize. Um, I, I, there was one point where I was sitting there like, okay, it's going to be the estimate and Tyree show and, and Diggs might just have a few carries. Maybe that's still the case. I still think 115, even in that scenario is, is tough. Um, Cause I do think Tyree is going to get his carries as well, like 12 to 15 possibly. Um, and it's just hard to put up 115 if you're, if you only have 10 to 15, even, even if they both have that. Um, now, obviously, I mean, maybe there's a big catch in there somewhere, but I don't think estimate is going to be used in that role out of the backfield as much as like Tyree and Logan Diggs are. So I'll go with under 115, but, but certainly around that hundred frame. I'm going to go over. Um, I you think have to with your prediction, right? Right. Yeah. I, uh, I am going to go over. I think he has the ability to break one and I think he's going to continue to fall forward just how, how big he is, you know, between the tackles, I think he's going to continue to get yards there and then it's only a matter of time before he breaks one, but yeah, definitely a good point. I think Tyree's going to get his in terms of the screen game, the passing game, maybe line up in the slot or something like that, as well as getting some carries, you know, he's electric. You want to get him the ball. And then I'm not sure exactly how much Diggs will be involved, but you'd imagine he's going to get a few carries himself. So yeah, that's one, honestly, and I know you're trying to get into the other one. That's why I wanted to get this in here real quick. But that's one thing that gives me a little bit of pause on that prediction is that part of me just thinks he's going to be like this Eddie Lacy, um, Derrick Henry type. I'm not saying at the NFL level, but in college, because he's so hard to bring down. I could totally see a scenario where he breaks off like a couple 20-yard runs where that should have maybe only been 10. And then maybe he has that one run where he just like completely bulldozes a guy over in like the middle of the field or shows some athleticism that maybe some people besides us realize he has. And he goes for like a 60-yard run when maybe Tyree, even with his speed, turn, only turns that into a 30-yard run because he just he won't break that tackle or something like that, like that shoestring tackle. So I could look very dumb. I think at the end, I mean, I know like obviously it's Ohio State, but like it like estimate like just has this weird ceiling man where it's like he could be honestly he could be the next Heisman type running back at Notre Dame because that's like I got I know he was a lower four-star guy but like 
and just look at him. Like he looks like, like I would be scared shitless if he was running at me in an ice cream shop, let alone with football pads. So for anybody that hasn't, look at SMA's Twitter. Um, not only will you find that he's predicted himself to win the Doak Walker Award for best running back, yep. he probably posts his workout pictures. And for a guy of his age, 17, 18 years old, whatever he is, just absurd. He could be a professional bodybuilder, but he, yet he's fast and can still you know, run between the tackles and is a college running back at that age is insane. But um, this one, last one, the defensive side of the ball, the defensive line is going to need to cause some chaos for C.J. Stroud and company. I've got the line set at two and a half total sacks. I think Foskey's good for one or two. Um, Nathan, what are your uh, what are your thoughts here? Two and a half total sacks for the Notre Dame defense. That's where I'll go over. I think three is a solid number. Um, you know, and I could see it more. Obviously, I think if Notre Dame wins, it will be more. Uh, but yeah, I would say three to four, and that doesn't necessarily even have to mean that Notre Dame's dominating. But I just think that their defensive line's too good. There'll probably be a good one in there where they rush someone like Bertrand or whatever, and he gets a sack. So like, like you said, I think Bosky for sure gets probably one, one and a half or something like that. And then, you know, Riley Mills, you know, with, with the attention being on Bosky, maybe gets one or Adam Alola, you know, the Adam Alola brothers always are good for something in a game. So, man, I wouldn't, honestly, like I could see that being significantly over. I mean, I know it's, I'm not sitting there saying like nine, you know, seven, eight, nine sacks in a game, but like if they, if they had five, like that wouldn't surprise me, even, even in a loss. No, I think only having one or no sacks would surprise me more than Notre Dame having like five or six. That's how good I think the defensive line is. And I think there's some question marks on the Ohio State offensive line. I'm going to take over as well. I think Foskey's good enough to get his. I kind of mentioned that I think the Ohio State offensive line has a, a couple of question marks, obviously some some high uh, graded players there, but have they proved it on, on the college level? Not quite. Um, and I side note, I think it'd be funny if Brandon Joseph screamed from safety and got a sack in Ohio State. Yeah, yeah. Remember him quickly. Um, I do you know, know that there was a, I was listening to an Ohio state, like guy from 24 seven sports, like a, like a week ago. And he said that he is, if, if Notre Dame is going to win this game, one of his nervous points essentially for Ohio state is Foskey versus Paris Johnson. And I thought that was interesting because so many people think Paris Johnson's going to be so much better this year playing tackle versus guard. Yeah. He said he's worried about the power and speed of Foskey because uh, with Johnson at left tackle. And I was like, man, that's interesting. Like maybe Foskey just has one of those days. I mean, he could, it you could was. argue there like Foskey, first of all, Foskey's good enough to do this. He could single-handedly win the no game for Notre Dame, possibly. If he goes in there and just completely dominates Paris Johnson for some reason, like and has like three and a half sacks on his own. You see that in college football. That's not like uncommon that a guy has three or four sacks in college football because obviously you play weaker opponents, whatever it may be. Yeah. But like if Foskey, I mean, would you say if Foskey has three sacks in the game that Notre Dame wins, like would that be a prediction of yours? I would not only make that prediction, but the rate that he on sacks strips the ball is so yeah. high. Yeah. That I think that that means a couple fumbles is Notre Dame does the ball bounce and Notre Dame picks it up. I mean, I think if Foskey does land three or four sacks, I mean, I think that's one or two fumbles potentially. Yeah. So that, that's, uh, that's one in the turnover battle too, which is one of our key points. And that's when you get into those crazy things where like Notre Dame can, Notre Dame can win that game off crazy things happening. A couple fumbles here and there, maybe a pick six, a Tyree kickoff return for a touchdown or something like that. I mean, there are random things that can give Notre Dame this win that don't just mean they played significantly better either. 
Who's on the call for that game? It's on ABC. Do you know? Is it Fowler? Herb Street, right, would probably be on it. Herb Street and Fowler. I was just wondering because I don't – I mean, I do like Fowler. I need a Gus Johnson. Tyree! I need that again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be – that would be good. Or, like, oh, man, I, I hate that Tariq is not on the Notre Dame games. I know this wouldn't be one of them, but, like, when they – when Notre Dame put out that tribute for, for him, dude, I honestly, like – like, I started getting, like, I was getting sweaty. <laughs> Like it was it was pretty bad. I, that was like when I keep talking about how I need a hype video. Yeah, I was starting to get goosebumps. I started. I had to change my shirt. Like I, I got, it was change your pants. Everything. Yeah, like I like when he. It was on the Kyron Williams run. Oh yeah. Like, I think everybody, especially Notre Dame fans, but like I'm sure there's other people that out there that remember that call against North Carolina. Like he, I think he said Kyron Williams like five times during like. Okay. The, and all were valid. Yeah, and it like, oh man, like I I'm gonna miss him on the Notre Dame uh, broadcast so much. I think. Me too. Um, let's get into some questions here. Yeah, we have some good ones this week. I think. First one, kind of a joke, not really. Um, from at Buckeyes Daddy sixty nine. This guy's really funny. Uh, the Twitter at wouldn't uh, necessarily tell you that, but Riley Mills question mark. That's the question. So I'm taking this as, you know, what do we think he can be? You and I are both really high on him. You want to go ahead? Yeah. I mean, it's a legitimate question. I think he's, I think he's going to have a good day. He's a guy that, like we were saying earlier, where, like some guys are going to be more known to Ohio State fans. Because I, I do think there's just like this lack of respect. And I, and I, and I don't totally – like I, I understand why there is. I think Ohio State fans going into this game are very confident because Notre Dame hasn't won those big games. So like, I, I understand like the lack of like, okay, we don't really know who your players are, whatever. I don't care. He's one of those guys that can very, very easily, you know, on Saturday, essentially, or after the game on Saturday, be an unknown name by the end of it. Yeah, no, I think that's totally fair. I think that he just isn't being talked about enough for one reason or another. And he could be another guy, you know, you say you don't know Brandon Joseph's name. You don't know who Tyler Buckner is. You're going to know the two of them and Riley Mills as well. I'm pretty confident in that. Um, Next question here. Sports Talk Drew, uh, who will be the MVP of the Ohio State game first? And then the I'd imagine the second part of it is why is it Chris Smith? Kind of a joke there. The nose tackle transfer from Harvard, right? Yeah. I was going to joke with him because he's like super high on Chris Smith and he's like listed as like the third string yeah. uh, tackle or, or defensive tackle. So um, his, uh, his projected depth chart from a few, from a, like a, like last week, kind of, kind of looks bad now. And I think obviously he's mostly joking, but oh, man, I, I'm assuming they mean Notre Dame MVP because I don't think it's going to be a Notre Dame player. If I'm, <laughs> I'm being completely honest. Yeah. So if, let's say if Notre Dame wins the game, who would you imagine is the MVP? Honestly, if Notre Dame wins the game, I think it's got to be Buckner. Yeah. That's because I just, again, I don't, I just don't see it being a 21 to 20 victory where it's like Foskey or something like that's the MVP. Now, obviously if the scenario that I mentioned earlier, Foskey like just completely dominates Paris Johnson and has three and a half sacks or something like that, then he's going to have to be up there, but I'm going to go Buckner, man. Cause I think if they win the game, it's going to be like a 38 to 34 win. And like Buckner is going to be a huge part of the running game, even if Notre Dame's running game is the reason. So if Notre Dame wins, it's Buckner. My, if it's the other side of the things where they say like the overall MVP, I mean, I think I got to go with like Stroud. I think Stroud's going to look really good. I think he's the best player in the country. So, or best quarterback in the country. So um, that's who like my real prediction would be. I see your QB one over Bryce Young. 
Yeah, for me. And it, it took a lot for me to say that because I will be honest, early on last year, I wasn't very high on Stroud and he really won me over towards like the second half of last season. I'm, I don't have a ton to add. I'm going to go Bucker as well. If Notre Dame wants to win, he's going to have to make plays, score points. And uh, I don't think anybody should be shocked if it is Buckner. Um, this one comes from at five foot nothing pod. Uh, been a longtime supporter of us. Always fun to interact with him on Twitter. Yep. Um, there's plenty of in quotes on the field questions that could be asked and need to be answered. But I'm curious what you guys think of how Freeman is handling questions being thrown at him leading into the game. Yes, compared to Brian Kelly. So I was able to watch the press conference today and I think he handled the questions really well. I think he's more honest and he, not that Brian Kelly's a liar, but um, I think that he's more uh, candid almost like he wants to be there. He's, you know, happy to talk about the team and he just answers things without coach speak. And maybe he'll gain more of that over time, or maybe they'll, you know, kind of advise him to, which I wouldn't be for, you know, I, I want the, the true, you know, how he's feeling, whatever. Um, he just comes across as more like sincere. And I, I like that a lot. You know, if you haven't had a chance to watch the press conference at ND football on, uh, on YouTube, I think it's worth the watch like 30 minutes or something like that. Yep. Um, I, I watch them all. It just, I And I can say I never watched Brian Kelly's. So uh, I think that's significant. Maybe I'm just excited. There's a level of transparency and gamesmanship mixed together that I think Freeman has already kind of mastered. Again, maybe, maybe that's not what you want your coach to be like because people do get mad at certain stuff like that. But when it comes to like the stuff that people need to hear, I think he's honest. Like, like today, like you, like you were saying, you watched the press conference. I haven't had an opportunity to, but I've kind of listened to the script or, or read the script. The, the fact that someone brought the 17 and a half point spread to him and the way he answered it, I love that because that's not saying, oh, we don't care. Yes, you do. You're, that, that fires up your team. You know your players are going to watch it. So just attack it head on. I, I love that. I, so far, I love how he's been transparent with injuries. That was one thing I hated about Kelly. Again, not a bad coach, but I hated not knowing when guys were going to be back. Maybe we haven't seen it yet with like a suspension, but I used to hate when we didn't know if a guy was going to be, it was actually suspended or if he's just in the doghouse or if it's four games or the season. Like we didn't find that out half the time until halfway through the year. And I'm like, dude, this guy's a pretty significant piece. You know, fans would like to know. So, so far, I mean, I think he's been a little bit more transparent in his talk. Um, and I, I appreciate that. Again, I'm not saying it's better or worse. I mean, I think every coach is different. But I, I do think that from at least from a fan perspective, I like being able to know what I'm listening to. And so far, it's been it's been accurate when he says stuff. So, yeah, and he just has a certain energy that's, you know, and everybody says this, I'm not. I'm not the first one to say it. There's a certain energy that like attracts you to him. It's like this charisma almost that you care about what he says. And I can only imagine how that translates to the players, recruits, coaches, everybody, you know, everybody's so attracted to him right now. Um, last question. It comes from me, actually. Um, how do you think the, I just thought of this. How, how do you think the media will approach and the Notre Dame Twitter, all of it will approach uh, Marcus Freeman, you know, Notre Dame's not favored in this game, actually a huge underdog, as we've mentioned. But if if he starts his tenure after all the excitement, 0-2, um, I think that's going to be something that's thrown around, you know, a picture of Freeman and the 0-2 graphic. I think that's something that we're going to see quite a bit if Notre Dame does lose, no matter the margin. So um, what are your kind of thoughts on that? And what, how are you going to defend yourself on Twitter? I don't really think there's like a way to defend it that shouldn't already be logical if that makes any sense I, like oh and two are we are we kidding like like I need to see what I need to see what he does in a, in a full season 
And especially like not even counting the bowl game that first of all, didn't mean anything. Second of all, didn't have your top two players playing. Like you, you were giving Mike Elston a tryout for defensive coordinator and it, and it failed miserably. And like, yeah. So the, Oh, and I mean, I, we're going to see it. It's going to be something I'm probably like, we always say this, how we need to ignore our mentions on Twitter more often. That's probably what I'm going to do. I'll probably tweet something after the game if they lose to Ohio State and, you know, whatever. And I'll get people in my mentions that are talking about how Freeman's essentially Kelly. And I'm probably just going to try my best not to respond, to be, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah, no, I'm kind of the same way. I'm just not I'm not ready for that. And, you know, with the line being what it is, Notre Dame is supposed to lose. So, yeah, I'm not ready for ESPN to say, is Notre Dame falling apart again? Marcus Freeman started his tenure 0-2 after, you know, whatever. Um, you know, because then Notre Dame's going to rattle off five or six in a row, and then that doesn't look nearly as bad. But, you know, I get it. I'm, I don't blame him very much for Oklahoma State at all. Do I think yeah, I think he should have called the defense still. But um, he was looking forward to this year and finding out exactly what he had in Mike Elston. We found that out. And, you, um, you know, I'm happy with – I shouldn't say I'm happy with Al Golden yet. We haven't seen him coach for Notre Dame yet. But I'm happy with the hire, and I'm happy with what we've seen from him so far. But that's all we got um, for questions to kind of wrap us up and get us out of here. Yeah, absolutely, guys. Um, you know, obviously, we're all, we're all looking forward to the game on on Saturday. Me and my me and Mason have said this for several weeks. We're just looking forward now. We're done talking. We might have a spaces for you guys later this week just to chat. But you know, we're we're excited to be done talking and just figure out what happens. But uh, but yeah, obviously, as always, I'm Nathan Erbach. You can find me on Twitter at Nathan underscore Erbach. You can find Mason on Twitter at Mason Plumber underscore. Please follow our new account. Um, it's literally just at Golden Homers, no podcast or anything in there, just at Golden Homers. And I know I've been plugging this the last few weeks, but I'm going to keep doing it. Um, obviously, myself and Mason, we have full-time jobs. This is something we love to do for fun, and we're going to continue to do it, but it, it does help to support us um, with, with a donation. You can do that on our Golden Homers page, and you can click the link um, in our bio. That takes you directly to our anchor page where we record from. And you can donate there or you can donate to both of us in our our Venmo accounts are attached to our personal Twitter accounts. So, again, something that we don't need from you guys, per se, but uh, but it does help us continue to record on a on a um, weekly basis and something that we probably would have been able to do um, without a long hiatus that we had several months ago if if we were getting that support. So, um Sorry if that's a little bit a little bit of a long-winded way of of asking, but uh, but we, we we certainly would love that, and we'll we'll talk to you guys on Spaces, and we will uh, see you guys after the game on uh, on Saturday, September third. Go Irish! Absolutely.